When I came in this morning, James asked me a question. He asked me, how does one respond musically to the tragedy that occurred on our city streets back in March? And I asked myself, how does a pastor or a musician or any one of us respond to blatant inhumanity? We've all seen the body cam video. A call goes in, a gentleman is having a mental health crisis. He's wandering on Jefferson Avenue naked. The police arrive, they place him in handcuffs. No blanket around him. Just place him in handcuffs. Then put a hood over his head, then tell him to lie down on the cold pavement. We can see that there's some snow coming down. He's not able to lie quietly. So his head is pushed down onto the pavement, face down and soon he no longer moves. He's taken to the hospital and put on a ventilator, but he's probably essentially dead. As I read this passage from our lectionary, please think about Daniel Prude and how Rochester failed him in his mental health crisis. So we read in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 13, beginning at verse eight. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in quarreling and jealousy, not in debauchery and licentiousness, Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight thou who art our rock and our redeemer. When I picked the title for today's sermon, Being Human, I did not know about Daniel Prude and his treatment back in March on our streets. 
One could talk about inhumanity, but I'm talking this morning about what it means to be human. I want us not to think so much about blaming someone, holding someone responsible, which is important. I want us to look at ourselves. So let me tell you a story to begin. He loved his chickens. They were his responsibility on the farm. He cared for them and tended to all their needs, even though they couldn't reciprocate. Drawn to the vocation of Christian ministry, though only a young boy, he would preach the gospel to his chickens. Of course, they were completely inattentive. He loved them nonetheless. When his mother took one of the chickens and served it up for dinner one day, he couldn't eat it. Now, contrary to what you might think, the chickens taught him what it means to be human. He felt close to the chickens and had compassion for them. And this compassion for living things, he would tell people, stayed with him throughout his entire life. And the boy's name was John Robert Lewis. The Apostle Paul is also interested in what it means to be human. He boils it down to one thing which he draws from Torah and from his Savior Jesus Christ. Quote, love your neighbor as yourself. So simple, yet so hard because we find ways to restrict exactly who our neighbor is. Jesus is quite clear, however, there are no restrictions. I would like us to consider today what the command to love others as we love ourselves means for us in these times in which we live. What are its implications for our behavior? Before we can answer that question, we must consider briefly the verses that precede our text for this morning. Romans 13 verses one through seven are conveniently skipped over in the lectionary. However, they're especially significant to me. These are the verses that I was given to explicate in the exegesis portion of my ordination examinations in April 1971. The first two verses read as follows. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Unquote. If you're old enough, you may recall that the 1960s and early 70s was a time of student anger and protest. The targets of the protests were an end to segregation imposed on African Americans and an end to the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War did indeed end 
racism has been more difficult to eradicate. And protests against unequal and unlawful treatment of our black brothers and sisters continue. I don't remember what I wrote for that ordination exam exegesis. I did pass the exams. But Paul recognizes in that passage the stabilizing power of government. He argues that any hope of bringing in God's kingdom by overturning government is a misplaced hope. The self-giving love that comes from God is sacrificial and does not resort to violence. Paul then shifts in the passage we are focusing on this morning to emphasize our obligation to love others as we love ourselves. In the words of my theology professor, Paul Lehman, it is our task as disciples of Jesus Christ to make and to keep human life human. When we see injustice, we are to call it out and defend the humanity of all persons. This is the gospel message that captured the heart of John Lewis. Being human means to love others. Being human is to call out any attempt to privilege one group or class or ethnicity over another. Being human is to have compassion for all human beings, to see Christ in every person, to feel anger toward any form of injustice. This is not a revolt against earthly authorities, but rather nonviolent resistance against anything in society that compromises the humanity of persons. The source of our hope is the self-giving love of Jesus that redeemed this world and returned in the Holy Spirit to empower Christ's body on earth, the church, to make and to keep human life human. Love is present. Love transforms the world and love makes us free. And when we see the absence of love, when we see the absence of compassion, when we see what can happen to someone like Daniel Prude, it disturbs us, and rightly, rightly so. This gospel message of hope had a profound effect on John Lewis, a child born in Alabama into a sharecropper family of 10 children in 1940. His grandfather had been born into slavery in 1862 and died when the boy was seven years old. Lewis grew up in the Jim Crow South where segregation and enforcement of second-class status for black folk were the rule. When he was four months old, an African-American man in a neighboring town was lynched for failing to address a police officer respectfully. Terror was part of life for black folk and injustice was a rare experience. 
John Lewis was somewhat protected from the humiliation and violence of his day by growing up in a rural community, but he was very aware of it. Yet he was basically optimistic. He loved to watch things grow, and as you heard, he loved caring for the family's chickens. The church was at the center of family life, and young John was inspired by the hymns and the preaching at his AME church. It was clear to him that the discrimination he observed was wrong, but that the radical love he heard preached gave him hope that this segregated world could be transformed. Lewis attended American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville and later earned another bachelor's degree from Fisk University. He was mentored by Martin Luther King Jr. and was strongly influenced by the social gospel of Walter Rauschenbusch, who taught here at our own Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School. The nonviolent resistance of Mahatma Gandhi was another powerful influence in John Lewis was awarded a fellowship to study with Gandhi in India. He turned that fellowship down when his leadership in the civil rights movement became a compelling responsibility. He was a participant in lunch counter sit-ins, led the freedom rides, and helped organize the 1963 March on Washington. There is so much that could be said about his life, and I encourage you to read John Meacham's book, His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope. The part of his story that is so striking to me is his commitment to love others, no matter what their color, and live into the hope that a United States of America without discrimination was achievable. He didn't march and protest and legislate just for black Americans. He did it for all Americans, knowing that what makes a country great is its ability to draw its citizens together in a common quest to build up all persons especially the poorest and the most vulnerable. He affirmed our belief that there are no losers in the world that God is transforming when we pray, thy kingdom come. John Lewis was convinced that one's participation in this transformation must happen without violence or even self-defense. And so he accepted the beatings and the jail time meted out by those committed to segregation. Segregation and discrimination are now unlawful in our country. Yet we see evidence of unequal treatment and injustice all around us. What should be our response? In our passage, Paul specifically asks us, this, and I quote, to live honorably, not reveling, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. 
Clearly, behavior that is sober and committed to doing what is right and good and respectful of others is a given. But if this is all there is to being human, then it gets most of us off the hook, except perhaps the quarreling and jealousy part. I would argue, however, that Jesus' demands on us are much broader, summed up in love others as you love yourself. Does this command carry any urgency? The key verse in our passage comes right after Paul's admonition to love others as you love yourself. It is this, and I quote, Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. Unquote. Verse 11. Paul is saying that the moment of Christ's return is now. We must awaken and receive Christ. We awaken to the reality that love is a vibrant thread transforming our world we put on Christ to live out and into this new reality. Eternal life exists side by side with temporal reality, but it exists under different rules. For this reason, it typically involves sacrifice. Jesus has returned in the Holy Spirit, and now is the time to say yes to the demands for love and justice in God's kingdom. John Lewis recognized this call in the 60s and put himself in harm's way, enduring many beatings and time in jail in order to resist segregation. He never lifted a finger against any person to defend himself. As a US congressman, he lived out the same purpose. It is no wonder that past presidents and legislators in both parties came to pay him homage as he lay in state. John Lewis knew what being human requires. Like you and me, he wasn't perfect, but we don't have to be perfect. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ does require that we nurture compassion and resist evil. It means that we put on a truth-seeking self. We reject an optimism that states all is well despite injustice, and we reject a pessimism that believes the world is collapsing and that there's nothing we can do about it. We also resist placing our hope in any one political leader because our hope lies in the power of love which finds incomplete and inconsistent expression in our political leaders as well as ourselves. When we put on Christ, we put on a mantle that commits us to being part of actions that confront injustice, that speak the truth, that forgive those who harm us, that look out for the poor and the oppressed. We give freely to those in need, expecting nothing in return. 
We come part, we become part of the transformation of the world, committed to the transformation of ourselves as we seek to be humble, fair, and kind every day. As evidence of a commitment to fight injustice, our session took action in June to endorse the Rochester Black Agenda Group's Racism is a Public Health Crisis Declaration. We made promises to more aggressively confront racism, to seek advice from those whose lived experiences are different from our own, to take action to become effective allies in the fight against individual and systemic racism, and to work collectively to reimagine and rebuild our community. I think John Lewis and God are smiling. The affirmation of faith that Becky will lead us in shortly comes from the Confession of Belhar. This confession was adopted by the Synod of the Dutch Reformed Mission Church in South Africa in 1986. In 1994, the Dutch Reformed Mission Church and the Dutch Reformed Church in Africa united to form the Uniting Reformed Church in Southern Africa. And in 2016, our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, approved the Confession of Belhar as part of our Book of Confessions. It states in part, that the church, as the possession of God, must stand where the Lord stands, namely against injustice and with the wronged. This is what being human demands of us. This is what it means to wake up and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one way we can honor the memory of Daniel Prude May our efforts to do so be blessed by our God. Amen. <laughs>